Sometimes when you guys laugh, I'm like, do you know something that I don't? <laughs> no, we got one of those new ring like home security drones and it just lives in your hallway. I, b- I would believe that. Are you going to get one of those? No. Are you kidding me? No. Ha ha ha. All right. Where are we going from? Hello, and welcome to Talking Too Loud with Chris Savage. I'm your host, Chris Savage. Excited to be here with you today. I'm joined by Sylvie LeBeau. Sylvie, how are you? What's going on over there? I'm good. I'm so much better than the last time we spoke because then I had shingles, and now I do not have shingles. I have some scarring, a little bit of scarring. Okay. Hmm. I'm sorry um, about that. Yeah. You can't see it through Zoom, so you're doing great. Thank you. Best compliment of the day. You can't see it through Zoom. Um, no, but I'm, I'm feeling a lot better. I am talking louder all the time, every day. What's got me talking too loud right now is ordering furniture for my new apartment. Oh, nice. Yeah. What kind of furniture yep. are you getting? Um, some lamps. Um, okay. Some wall art, wall Ooh. decor, if you okay. will. Like framed furniture? things or Framed. sculptures coming off the wall or what do you have over there clocks i mean i did just order a giant um antler head no i did so hipster so hipster that yeah. was a lie okay. um some some right. framed some framed art nice nice that i can That's great. stare at yeah what about That's you great. you you look like you're in a new environment i am in a new environment i am in a cavernous room an empty room i just I just moved actually to Providence, Rhode Island. So uh, I grew up here and it's about an hour from Cambridge. And so we decided to do this this summer and kind of, you know, been waiting and it's been really exciting to get in here. Got in here last week. Kids are running amok and I don't have enough furniture. And so all my rooms sound like this. And I know there's all this podcast advice that you and Adam giving me, okay, Mm -hmm. you know, you really need Mm -hmm. to spruce things up over here. It's like, the sound is not soft enough. It's too hard. I'm not, I get it. I get it, guys. Okay. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to, I'm going to do something. Yes. I'm glad that you are, you're up to the task, but I think you should kick this over to the girls. You should have them build you a pillow fort, rock out, make it sound A plus. Yeah. We want some photos. We want some photos for sure. Um, of the pillow fort. How does sure. it? Yeah. How does it feel? Of, yes, of the pillow fort. How does it feel to be uh, settled? A bit more settled. It feels good to be settled. Um, it's been a weird. You know, obviously this this pandemic has been really weird for everyone, and it's been weird for us. And we're in a tiny little spot in Somerville, and you know, no room to run around. And so, um, as you know, moved around a bit to try to give the girls more space, and then decided to come to come here because I realized at some point, like, you know, the future of work for us is going to be hybrid. It's going to be a combination of being in office, building community together, building trust in person, all that kind of stuff, but also like way more flexibility and way more freedom with remote work. And as I thought a lot about that, I was like, well, you know, it would be interesting to try. Like my parents are still just a mile down the road here. We could see them more kids can have more space and kind of like all coalesced. And so we decided to to give it a run and uh, we'll see what happens. But so, so far, so good. Love a hybrid approach. Are you familiar with the combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell? (laughs) (laughs) That's a hybrid approach as well, my friend. 
Um, wow, nailed it. Yep. Yeah. There's also a great song called Combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. Uh, so you're cheating could... on this one. <laughs> a little bit cheating. <laughs> I mean, the fact that I rummaged through my brain of semi-useless references, you know, that's a win for me. That's no, that's a, a great, great ref. Great ref. You know, I, I definitely won't eat there, but that sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, you know, for a multitude of reasons. You know, there's many reasons why. Do you think there. our Do you think our next guest would eat there? I'm going no. I'm, I'm going to no say no. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. I think Phil <laughs> Phil Libin, founder of Evernote, running mm-hmm today. You know, he he seems like a somebody who really wants to dial in his life dial he in. wants to be intentional about intentional he's a very intentional person yes and he's intentional about the work that he does phil is the co-founder and ceo of all turtles a mission-driven product studio and their newest product mm-hmm, is an app that makes video communication more clear and compelling uh, previously he was the managing director of general catalyst and before that he was the co-founder and ceo of evernote which grew to become a beloved product for hundreds of millions of users Super great to sit down with Phil, talk to him about like the world that we're in, got some exciting tips from him on uh, scaling teams, some some content's gonna have to be censored. So gear up everybody, we've got an explicit episode for you. Kick it to Phil. Mm-hmm. Phil, so great to meet you. Thank you for coming on Talking Too Loud. Um, how, are, how are you doing today? Where are you? I am uh, doing, you know, 2020 good, I guess. I'm in San Francisco. <laughs> good as can be expected. Great to uh, great to be with you guys. 2020 so, good. I haven't yeah, heard that yet. Good. I like that. <laughs> I like that. How is it? How is it in San Francisco right now? What's it feel like? I mean, the, uh, if according to Twitter, it seems like everyone's left. There's nothing there anymore. But I, I don't think that's probably the reality. Well, not everyone yet, but hopefully soon. We can wait and hope. Uh, it's pretty terrible. I mean, today is fine. Today is nice. Uh, you know, we went from a place where uh, I moved from the East Coast. I was in New York and then Boston and uh, been here for, I don't know, 13 years or something. And um, it was always great because, like, no one ever talked about the weather. Like, for the first 13 years I was here, like, the weather just never came up because it was always the same. It was always great. And now it's, like, the main topic of conversation because either the air is on fire and you can't open windows or it's, like, you know, it's a heat wave and no one's got air conditioning. So it's been, it's been pretty miserable, but, uh, you know, other people have bigger problems. So 2020 good. And today is nice enough. Yeah. Today is nice enough to have windows open. So, you know, it's a blessing. That's well, that's great. Well, look, I, I'm super excited that you're here today and I'm a big fan. I, I followed your story as, as Evernote just like absolutely exploded. It was crazy to watch like the rocket ship that was Evernote. And really excited about what you're doing right now with mm-hmm and all turtles. And I want to get into all of this, but I, I would love to hear about what the early days of Evernote felt like. Like from my perspective, I saw a company that was just getting, you know, article after article written. And, you know, I, everyone I knew was started using the product and it was just like why it spread like wildfire. Like what, what was that like? Uh, what was it like to experience that? It was it was hard. It was a lot of work, but yeah. But 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 Evernote was it was an amazing experience for me. Uh, it really grew fast. It was an amazing team of people. I'm so lucky uh, to to have been able to work alongside of uh, people like this. At some point, it got to 
it just got to a point where I didn't feel that I was that good at being a CEO of, of a, what felt like a pretty large company. I think where we got to like 400 or so people. And I just thought, you know, I wasn't particularly, there's things I'm good at, there's things I'm not good at. And I thought I was a pretty good CEO at kind of a startup level, but I was a, you know, I was sort of an okay CEO at a, at a big company or a medium company level. And usually that, that's okay because, you know, you're not going to be able to find anyone better. But I thought Evernote was successful enough and prominent enough where we, where we could find someone better. And I thought the company deserved to have the, you know, the best possible CEO at every stage. And I just wasn't, I just wasn't liking it at that point. So, you know, went through the process of, of, of finding a replacement, which was, uh, it was, it was difficult. It was difficult. It was painful. Um, you know, even though like, I think I had like kind of initiated that process, it's still, it's still a hard thing to do. Yeah. It seems like rationally, it's like a hard thing to be in touch with. I think like what we're all good at and bad at at any moment. Uh, but in that case, I'm sure like, it's gotta be very different from like the rational, like, well, I haven't done this before. Maybe I'm seeing signs that there's like cracks in the organization or what have you with the emotional of, well, I've, I created this and, you know, right now it's a huge part of my identity. Like, what did it feel like to actually take the, go through that shift? Well, you know, I never, I didn't actually plan on leaving what I, what I wanted was to replace myself as a CEO and, uh, you know, and just be more involved on the product side. I thought like what I was good at is doing the high level product design and that's what I wanted to do. So I kind of wanted to maybe stay chairman and just do, do some strategy and some product design and then someone have someone come in and run it uh, day to day. And I, re- I knew that, you know, when I started the process, that, that was only like 50% likely to happen that, you know, when you bring in a new CEO, like you just can't predict you know, it's got to be that person's company and, you know, it, the culture may work or may not work with me hanging around. And so I kind of knew that it was relatively likely that actually, no, I'd wind up, you know, pulling back completely, but it isn't, it isn't what I wanted. That wasn't the plan. The plan was to stay in, you know, relatively engaged, uh, very engaged, but it just didn't work out within a few months. It, you know, it kind of became clear that uh, it was just too weird, both for me kind of hanging around, but not being in charge. And it was, you know, it was too weird for, for Chris, uh, who's the, the, the CEO that, that, that replaced me and for the board. So it just got, you know, it, it became clear within a few months that it just didn't make sense to kind of be half in. And so then I, you know, I just left completely, which was, uh, you know, which was again, also unpleasant, but intellectually I prepared myself for it. I knew that that was a, a strong possibility and that was okay, but it was still, you know, this was for nine years, 10 years, almost for almost 10 years, it was the single most important thing in my life. And so it was definitely a big, felt like a big change, uh, stepping away from it. But the main thing that I think I realized, uh, at Evernote and I, and I kind of realized this before, you know, before I, I wound up leaving. So it really helped me do the transition is the biggest, like the most useful CEO skill, right. That I, that I think I, I wound up figuring out was, Whenever I think like, oh man, this is a hard decision. Like anything's a hard decision. Like making some decision, I feel like it's, oh, this is a hard decision. Whenever I think that, I wind up like a little alarm goes off in my head and I say, okay, is it hard because I don't know, it's difficult to determine what the correct answer is or is it unpleasant? I kind of realize that there's this, there's like a big difference between decisions that are hard to make because you don't know what the right answer is and decisions that you know what the right answer is. They're just really unpleasant. And the vast majority of the time I wound up you know, lumping those things together in my head. And I think most people do. I think most people, when they think, oh, it's a hard decision, they haven't thought through hard how. Like hard, I don't know what the right answer is, or hard, the right answer is really painful to me. When I kind of realized that, and I, and I went back through my own head, I realized that fully 90% of the time, when I feel like something's a hard decision, it's unpleasant, not difficult to know the correct answer. And 
that I need to make I need to make the decisions totally based on that, right? Like not based on how unpleasant it is, based on when I know it's the right answer, I need to do it. And so from that kind of point of view, it makes a lot of things clearer and much easier, although not necessarily emotionally easier because yeah, emotionally unpleasant is still unpleasant, even if you wind up doing it. Uh, but I think it's a very, it's like, to me, it felt like a very useful thing to figure out. And it's probably the main thing that I, that I, that I took from that whole experience. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. The way I've thought about it is I think it's so easy to make judgment calls on other, someone else's company. And you see someone else is like, why aren't they, in, why are they doing that? That doesn't make any sense. They're like, they, they should have this feature. What are they doing? Or this is export, the support experience is horrible. And it's like, well, I know what I would do to fix it. And then when you're actually in there, it's very hard because you're right. Cause it's so unpleasant. There's a, well, there's people in these roles and the roles have to change or the people have to change, or we have to shut down the thing we've been working on or whatever. And there's so much emotional connectivity and there's so many relationships at play that it can be really, really tough. I think we have a, in general, a very unhealthy attitude towards, um, towards emotions in the workforce where we tr- basically, we may wind up making most of our decisions based on you know, what emotionally feels easy or difficult or pleasant or unpleasant. And at the same time, we pretend to not have the emotions. So it's like, it's kind of the worst of both worlds. We get irrational decisions <laughs> and we're like, we're all, you know, emotionally crippled because we like go around <laughs> pretending that we're not feeling these things. So yeah, it feels, it feels strange once you kind of see it. Yeah, I know. It's funny you say that because one of the things that was always hard for me was, you know, when we had to let the first people go, especially the first people who had had a huge impact on the company. And it took me a while to realize that there's sometimes like, you know, there's a growth that an individual wants and a growth that company needs. And you need to keep going back to is like, what's gonna help the company grow. And if the person matches to that, that's fantastic. And if they don't, they don't. But what I was missing on the other side of that was when you don't actually help someone see that they don't, that their growth doesn't match with the company. And then later you, you've actually stunted their, their career. Because like, if they knew that things were not going to, they knew that a project was going to fail and they could move on and try something else that they get that time back and they get to go and do that thing earlier. And at least for me, it made a lot of those like people decisions easier because it's like, well, if we can actually explain this really clearly and everyone understands what the company needs, then it's, it's easier because like, well, it's painful. At least we're, we're, we're accelerating a process versus the worst cases when you have someone who is like a, a great cultural fit, done a bunch of amazing stuff, and they're not actually being able to have an impact anymore. And that's that's super painful. And I agree that we, we, we fall into those mistakes through just like being afraid of unpleasant things. Yeah, and then just kind of being dishonest with ourselves about how we're making decisions and what we're optimizing for. Um, and I, there's a lot of like, I have, I have lots of, you know, I have a, I have a uh, kind of a law about about firing people. Uh, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? You know what? They told me no, <laughs> and then every guest does, and then I do, so go for it. Well, um, you can bleep me out. <laughs> the producer is shaking her head. <laughs> yeah, the producer's shaking her head. Everyone's like, Chris, don't swear. I'm like, okay, and then every guest is like, can I swear? <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, get you know, get the bleep button ready, because it'll be even funnier <laughs> if you don't bleep out. Um, so I have, a, I have a principle about this, which I call the tip of the fuckberg. <laughs> basically says this that um, when you finally get around to firing someone because you think that they've like screwed some stuff up and there's some problems and you wind up having to fire them you know like it's gotten bad enough where you're actually going to fire this person yeah 
at that point, the amount of things that you knew about that caused you to fire that person compared to what you're going to find out how terrible they actually were after the first few weeks when they're gone is like really like a teeny, teeny, tiny portion of how really <laughs> fucked up they were. <laughs> because like when they're around, they're still like doing everything to cover up and to protect it and you don't want to admit it. And as soon as you get rid of a person for performance, you're like, oh my God, it was so much worse than I could have possibly <laughs> This is a hot take. This is a very hot take on a... Employee performance. Well, it's funny. It's the tip of the fuckberg. Tip of the fuckberg. Yeah, it's um, it's it's yeah. That is the truth, especially if they were managing a team. Oh my god! Exactly, exactly. Right, because then the coworkers haven't really, you know, like basically the corollary to this is I don't know anyone, literally, who's ever regretted firing someone. Uh, It's as far as I know, it's never happened in the history of the universe where you're like on the fence. And then you fire them, and then We're like six months later, we're gonna have to check that. We're gonna have to like check that one. Yeah, and then like six months later, you're like, "Damn it, I made a mistake. I shouldn't. I, I, I acted too hasty. Like it never. I don't think it. Ever, it's never happened to me. I don't. I don't think it's ever happened. Basically, because you always learn so much more. Now, that doesn't mean that you should always fire people immediately. Like I, I've given plenty of people second and third and fourth chances, at, and and often that works out great. So it, but it just means that like by the time you actually get around to like letting someone go, like, yeah, you probably should have done it much sooner. And exactly to your point, it would have been better for you. It would have been better for them. It would have been better for the company. So yeah, so that's like a clear thing, but that only deals with, with like separating from people for performance reasons. There's lots of other times where I think it goes the other way. Like, um, you know, when, when the pandemic started, uh, I just made the arbitrary decision. I just, I just had an all hands. And I told the team, look, I'm just optimizing for not, not, not laying anyone off. Like, I just don't feel like firing anyone during the pandemic. Not, I don't feel like furloughing anyone or laying anyone off. And that's not the advice that most startups got from their yeah. investors. But I'm um, like, screw it. I know that it may not be the right thing for the company, that this is an argument to be made that the right thing for the company is to shrink immediately and then survive. But I just don't feel like it. And so I'm not going to furlough anyone. And I'm going to try as hard as possible to not lay anyone off during the pandemic. And maybe that means we all go out of business. And that would maybe make me a bad CEO, but that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to optimize for. And I had that discussion and, and you know, and we made it through a combination of, you know, a lot of luck and, and hard work and PPP and stuff like that. We actually made it to a really good place, but it wasn't obvious at the time. And a lot of investors were calling up a lot of startups saying, you need to, you need to lay people off immediately. And I just didn't feel like it. And so I kind of applied the, well, I'm not going to pretend that I'm doing what's right for the company. I'm just saying, I don't feel like it. And that's what I'm going to do. And if, you know, if you don't like it, you can fire me as a CEO you know, I guess that would be one way to go, but I didn't want to do it. So it, it goes both ways. Yeah, no, I like that. I like that way of putting that because it's funny when you when you say that. My first instinct was, well, if you can pull it off, it's going to be the best thing for the company to keep those people, and the motivation is going to be there. But you're right; it is not it's a big the, if. The, yeah, it's a big if. It's a big if. Yeah, I and, guess it depends on. Yeah, it it worked for us. Yeah. But that's in hindsight. Like in hindsight, yeah. it was the right, you know, it was a brave decision, but that's only in hindsight because it worked out. We could have been yeah. out of business and then it would have been a bad decision, but I was willing to go down with, you know, with, with that. Uh, but, the, but it was because part of why I did that, honestly, was because I had already, like, we had already gotten rid of the people that we didn't want around for performance, like before that. So like when yeah. I was looking at, when the pandemic started, I was like, well, everyone I'm working with, I want to keep working with because we were already pretty decent about, not continuing relationships with people that were underperforming. I think a lot of my peers, you know, they looked at the pandemic and they were like, oh, this is, this is my opportunity to get rid of a bunch of people that I wanted to get rid of anyway. Yeah. So like, it's, it's I nice think that to separate those things out. 
Yeah, that is nice. Well, it's also it's bad. It's better for everyone, right? If you're constantly having those conversations too, and they're not surprises, and people know that they're on good footing, they're actually on good footing, they're aligned with where the business is going. That's like a way better place to be. Um, so, look, how did you go from Evernote to All Turtles? And tell tell our listeners like what what is All Turtles? When I stepped down from Evernote, I thought I would kind of go into you know semi retirement. So I became a VC. I became a managing director at, at the General Catalyst, which is a great you know tech. Uh, VC fund. And um, it was there for two years and just kind of realized that I wasn't, um, I just wasn't very good at it. Like I wasn't enjoying it and I wasn't very good at it. I think I was making a lot of like entrepreneur mistakes as an investor. Uh, I was like, I was getting excited. Uh, my, my, one of my partners, uh, Hamant actually like pulled me aside pretty early on and like told me what I was doing wrong. He's like, you're listening to a pitch and you get excited about what you would do with this idea. And that's like a terrible way to make investment decisions because what you would do with this idea is completely irrelevant. You got to you got to figure out what what the founders are going to do with this idea. And he like really nailed it because like as a CEO, like you hear an idea and you can get excited about the idea, and it doesn't matter who gave you the idea, right? Because like maybe they can run it, maybe you assign it to someone else. Like it's fine. But as an investor, like thinking what you would do with it is 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 harmful because you're not going to do anything with it. It's going to be the founders. And that was like a lens that I just never got good enough uh, to being able to to see through. Uh, and so it just didn't feel like I was doing enough. Um, so we started All Turtles, which uh, kind of spun out of, of, of General Catalyst. And the idea there was just to focus on building worthwhile products for the world with uh, you know, as little nonsense as possible. And I think there's a lot of nonsense that goes into the typical like Silicon Valley startup treadmill and do it globally. And uh, so we, yeah, we, we built a studio to work on a number of different things at the same time. And all of them hopefully good for the world within a controlled process that helps us uh, you know, do worthwhile things in worthwhile ways with relatively few distractions. So we, yeah, we recruit founders, we work with big companies, we work with startups, we work on our own ideas. Sometimes we spin out startups from that. Sometimes we just make products that go somewhere else. Um, that's the idea. And it's been cool. about almost four years now. And that is obviously very different from Evernote in terms of like one product, one company. It's almost like you took that, that learning from how to, you know, taking your entrepreneur filter and throwing it off in the investor world to being like, well, let me just put it back on. So bring me all the ideas. Let me see what I can do with all of them. Yeah, me plus, you know, a lot of other people and founders. Like I'm definitely not like in charge of all of the ideas. I think right now we have nine different projects and I'm, I'm actively involved from sort of an advisory uh, capacity to most of them, but I'm only like, I'm only very actively hands-on running, you know, one. So okay. it, it feels like a good, a good combination. And the one is, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm noticing that as you're talking and I'm acknowledging what you're saying, I can't help but say, mm-hmm, today. Like, it's just, <laughs> I'm, I've, I've probably said, mm-hmm, like 30 times already. <laughs> is that the trick? Is that the trick? Yeah. You just start It's fun, it's fun to notice it, it, yeah. Are we, are we looking at mm-hmm right now on your screen, or is that not? Yeah, 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 this is, I'm Can I'm you always, describe, Savage, what are you seeing? Phil is currently uh, positioned in front of a beautiful mountain. I'm going to go volcano. Volcano, maybe volcano. Is it mountain or volcano? I mean, it's both. It's Mount Fiji, so it's it's kind of it's kind of a it's well, an inactive guess, volcano that's now a mountain. So, I guess yeah. we're both right on that one. <laughs> uh, and uh, for those that don't know, mm-hmm is an app that you can use to change what your video looks like when you're using any video app at all, when you're using Zoom, QuickTime, anything, 
and mm -hmm lets you put different backgrounds behind you, video backgrounds, present slides, and it's almost like a tool that lets you create an experience that's like you're on live television. But instead of the other people doing the graphics on the lower thirds and stuff, you're kind of doing it yourself. Yeah, we our, our one second pitch is it's instant weekend update. So that's the idea. <laughs> instant weekend update. Did instant did Lauren Michaels update. say yes? Yes, you can use that. <laughs> uh, I expect to hear from him any day now. <laughs> <laughs> and so, at, at which point we will stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good sign. I mean, it's you look forward to that. I think the day that Lauren Michaels calls you up around this, so that'll be a good thing. Um, so. How did you how did you find your way to this? You were you already working on mm -hmm before the pandemic and everyone had to be at home or did this happen quickly? Like what how did this happen? No, this is really new. Like we only started working on this in May. We were already all, you know, locked down working on video from home and just juggling to keep, you know, eight or nine different projects alive uh, and trying not to fire anyone and and you know, living on video was just super tedious. So I just started screwing around. I just started like as a joke, like literally just started as a joke of like uh, seeing if I could do funny things on video calls to just make them a little bit less tedious. Uh, it started with, I had a green camping towel and I, I hung it up behind me on the wall. I just like duct taped with this towel to the wall. <laughs> and I used some of the Zoom green screen functionality to like project images in back of me on the screen on this towel, just as a, as a joke. And, you know, it was kind of fun. And then I started playing around with video and the more that we just like, the more that I experimented with it, the more like people really liked it. And it seemed like this might be a thing. So then I got co-founder Steve White to uh, just, you know, he was already on, on one, on, he was working on several of our other old turtles projects. And so he hacked together an app and me and him just worked for a couple of weeks back and forth, like at nights, uh, getting it ready. And then it, it just kind of blew up. So yeah, it, 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 it's only been, I don't know, 12 weeks or something from, from the very beginning to, to now. Um, so it's still very, very early stage, but it's uh, getting a lot of traction. We're in, you know, we're in a beta, we raised a bunch of money, so it's good. <laughs> I like that. Uh -huh. You can't see this, but Phil was saying that he transitioned the background to a totally different environment, which makes me want to open right now as well. But you found your way to this 12 weeks ago and people are really starting to embrace it and use it much more. And it's interesting because you know we have this product Soapbox and it's really just a simple way to record videos in the browser, record your webcam and your screen simultaneously. And then the thing that makes it different is that you can add transitions. And the transitions are not actually edits. Like you're not clipping parts of the video out. You're not, you're not smash doing jump cuts and stuff. It's just making it more interesting. And we found that people who use it, that that is actually enough. Like it's enough to feel more confident. What are you learning right now about the customers that are using and like where do you where do you think this is going to go? How do you think this is going to change how people present themselves online? Well, I think the big concept for us is that you know the the the, the really like major change in the world is that everything is um, everything has, has become hybrid. Uh, whereas like most things used to be very clearly defined between either being, um, you know, online or, or, or in person or live or pre-recorded and now we're, all of it is getting kind of smashed together. So we're sort of remixing reality uh, so that we can reinvent experiences to be a combination of live, in person, uh, pre-recorded, online. And I think this is the future of just about everything. So like, you know, Teaching is a hybrid experience. Going to the doctor is a hybrid experience. Selling stuff is a hybrid experience. So it's um, 
I think we were at the, at the really right at the beginning of this massive worldwide transformation of almost every single thing on the planet going from being very clearly either in person or online or live pre-recorded to almost everything being a combination of those. And yeah, it's going to take, it's going to take a while to, to figure this out, make it really good. So that's what we're trying to do. I see you're using it now. Thank you. Oh yes, uh, of course. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, so that, that's the big idea. Uh, and, but it starts really simple, right? Yeah. It just starts with adding some more personality, injecting some personality into your video life. Yeah, I was just going to say, even, I mean, watching both of you use, mm -hmm, first of all, I'm jealous. Second of all, um, it absolutely does inject personality. I can't help but smile throughout this conversation as I watch the two of you change your, your screen <laughs> backgrounds. Savage, you're like a, in a kaleidoscope. And now Phil is presenting slash he's a hologram slash he's small. So... Just had to, uh, to take that moment to <laughs> sorry <Sophie>. to, <laughs> to fully appreciate <laughs> to fully appreciate. Mm -hmm. But but Chris, I you did ask what are you learning about how customers are using it? Have you like what are some interesting reviews that you've gotten? Has it impacted any of the features that you guys are developing? Yeah, well, I mean, um, so right, again, we're still in closed beta. Right. Sorry, um, invite only. Yeah, um, and um, but we are starting to see. You know, there's some. There's you know, it was like a hundred thousand people that signed up for the waitlist in the first first month, and there's some. I don't even know how many people have used it now, but certainly you know many tens of thousands. Uh, so it's still like small, but real enough where we are seeing like really cool things on Twitter. We did a little contest for people to like send us thirty second videos uh, that that just ended. We got really, really, really cool stuff. Um, we're getting a lot of traction in education, which kind of makes sense. So there's like lots of like teachers and students using it for, for, you know, for read along, for, you know, book club, for science projects or stuff like that. Uh, but we're also getting a lot of traction with like investment bankers and rappers and athletes. So yeah, it's a really, really diverse group of people that I'm, I'm pretty psyched to see. This was a, this was a really good, to me, this is a good sign. And it, it happened at Evernote early on, like pretty early with Evernote. Uh, we realized that there was just such a diversity of enthusiastic users. Um, I remember, I remember one day really early, uh, right after we released it, when um, I I just had a, a an alert on Twitter where anytime anyone said the word Evernote on Twitter, you know, I, I would see it because I would, you know that would only happen like whatever a dozen times a day, right? In the beginning, it was small, and Twitter was small plus Evernote was tiny, so I could see literally every single thing on Twitter that anyone ever said about Evernote. And one day, totally, you know, accidentally, like totally coincidentally, like these two, these weren't people talking to each other. These were just two random people. Somebody tweeted that, um, somebody tweeted something like, uh, I'm a priest and I love using Evernote for sermons, which it made sense, right? You like clipped things and wrote things down and did it for sermons. So it was like, there was a priest using it. And then like a few hours later, somebody different tweeted that, um, they used Evernote to keep track of all of their sins so that they can... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so that they could confess uh and i was like that's cool oh, like we've got we've got like both ends of the spectrum uh, <laughs> uh, of it and and then you're like we'll just create the sharing feature and just get it right right over to that priest done yeah exactly yeah <laughs> now it's time for virtual confession let's virtual go. confession yeah. done through evernote <laughs> well i mean i mean but virtual confession is probably a good mm -hmm use case yeah right? that's, that's true, true. So that's actually not a bad idea. We gotta, we yotta <laughs> yeah, protect your that. identity a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I think I think we can do it. 
I want to go back a little bit. So you're talking about that the world is now permanently hybrid, basically. Mm-hmm. Do you, I, I think that's really interesting because I, I'm getting to that place myself where it seems like there's no going back. Like everyone can see that we can work remotely. Uh, you know, you can live wherever you want, have the quality of life you want if you're fortunate enough to work in a place that has, you know, can be remote. But that like, I also miss a lot of in-person things and it seems like that'll be universal. But I also wonder to myself, like, what will happen, you know, if we have a few vaccines, hopefully, and in next year, enough people take them that, you know, we could stop wearing masks and things go, what will that actually be like? Will we, will everyone come roaring back and like demand in person or not? And I'd love to hear how you think about, how you think about getting to this hybrid place. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, hopefully, hopefully soon we'll be able to start, you know, leaving our houses and, and doing things normally. But I think even when that happens, the, which is why I say hybrid, it's not like I think that the future is permanently only online sitting in our basements, looking at our computers. I, I think it's hybrid. I think it's always going to be both. Like right now, it's not very hybrid. Right now, it's mostly just online. But I do think it'll move to hybrid where um, video will be an important part of many, many, many experiences that it didn't used to be. So for example, um, because it's better, not because I I have to do it, because it's better. So as an example is, um, you know, going to the doctor. Like if I wanted to go to the doctor in the before times, right, I have to like pick up a phone and like make an appointment and then like sit and like drive and sit in traffic and show up at an office and then wait in the waiting room so that like the doctor could talk to me for 20 minutes and I can ask some basic questions. And usually the first time there wasn't even anything important there. And they were just trying to get rid of me because they need to see 10 other patients. Like none of that makes sense. Right? Like that's much better now where I just like push a button. I do a video call. There's no waiting. If I have to like get some prescriptions, it just shows up in the mail. If I have to come in in person, then I can just schedule that automatically and come in. So like, the hybrid healthcare experience is better than only in person. So obviously that's not going back. Another example is, you know, events, right? So everyone's like, oh, events suck now because, you know, virtual events aren't as much fun as physical events. Well, okay. So the last two big Apple events, right? They were like the best Apple events ever. They were like the most fun from an audience perspective. It wasn't like Apple was saying like, oh, we can't do this in person. So it's going to suck. They were like, nope, we're going to do it better than ever because now we have all these superpowers. And so, like, let's say next year they can have an in-person event again. Yeah, they'll probably have it in person, but they'll need to figure out a way to make it hybrid because, like, the online experience is just, like, so good. And it's going to be the same thing with education. So all of these things are going to be hybrid because that's better. Uh, we, we, we've got a whole philosophy uh, around hybrid, which is we call it IRL plus, so better than in real life. You're not going to be hybrid because you have to be. You're going to be in hybrid because it's better than not being hybrid. It's better than it was before. Um, that's the concept. And so each use case, one thing at a time, we go and we figure out what is the hybrid environment. So in terms of working, like, um, you know, uh, of course, a lot of people are going to be back in a centralized office. Uh, certain jobs, you have to do that. For other jobs, like, you know, my job, most of the people I work with, it'll probably always be remote because that gives us such superpowers. So for example, I just, you know, we've got 20, 25 job listings right now open on our our website. And for all of them, they're all global, which is amazing. Like, think about that. Like, I don't, I know, I no longer have to have to hire people only in San Francisco. I can literally say every, every position is global, which is a superpower, which means we're going to have a team that's distributed everywhere, which means by definition, I'm never going to call everyone to a central office every day because that means giving up the superpower of being able to get the best people globally. And why would I ever do that? 
now that that means that we have to like concentrate on other things. So maybe we spend a lot of our budget on um, one thing that we just started to do. We have to do a lot more of is we don't pay rent anymore for office space. So we have a budget, uh, a benefit that we you know we 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 give people a budget that they can use to improve their home office, which you know we would have spent that per employee on rent. So we may as well spend it on making your 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 work environment healthy at home. And if you don't want to be at home. Right now, it's a little bit too early, but as soon as it's safe again, yeah, we'll just pay for people if they want to not work from home, they want to go and work from a WeWork or something, sure, you'll be able to do that. But it'll still be remote. But then if we want to get together, we'll do that very intentionally. We used to have off-sites. Now, we can't have off-sites anymore because like, that word doesn't make any more sense, so we have to call them you know, <laughs> gatherings or something. But we'll have... Retreats, yeah, gatherings, yeah. Yeah, yeah retreat to go forward, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> you know, we'll have retreats to go forward you know, once or twice a year. And we'll just have to be much more intentional about those, like make those destinations, make those really nice. So it's like, once we're all able to travel again, are we all going to be asking people to commute every day to sit in an office? Of course not. Yeah, it seems crazy. Yeah. But no, I, we, I, we yeah. are going to have to figure out all the other stuff. Yeah. And I, I will, I, I really like, and unfortunately everyone can't see this, but throughout, as Phil was explaining this, he, he brought up over his shoulder, you know, IRL plus and talked about how the work was going to be better in the future, like through this, this model. And it was, it was interesting to see you so adeptly using mm, throughout this, but also just like adding to the, it's clear that you care about this, you're passionate about it. You see it, you see the change happening and it is, it is just such an interesting moment, I think, because there's a lot of people who've always been, you know, remote only companies and we've talked to some of them on the podcast, like great folks, but they still got together in person, you know, once a quarter because like that, the trust building and the community building is so amazing in person. Yeah. And I think we still need to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. We still need to do it. But like this hybrid model, it does seem like it's here to stay. I think it's interesting for schools, even in early education. It's, it's, it's in interesting on every front. And I do think it is a really, really big change. And the longer that we're in this mode, um, the more, the more permanent the change will be and the faster it will come. Tell me about the name. I, I have, my understanding <laughs> is I think you jokingly came up with this name because it's like the only name you can say while eating. Is that right? Basically, uh, I, everyone used to ask me about old turtles, but man, why is it called old turtles? That is such a weird name. Why is it called old turtles? And I was just like, look, if you think old turtles is a weird name, just, you know, hold my beer. So I just, I just, <laughs> I just wanted the next name to be weird enough so people would stop asking me about old turtles and totally succeeded. Like no it one's worked. asked me about it. Worked. No one's yeah. asked me about why old turtles is called that since we came out. No, with I wasn't going to. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> a deeper, there's a deeper meaning, right? There's, there's something behind like there's many creating a name meanings. that gets people talking. Yeah. There's, there's lots of joke reasons. In fact, we like made a video of like all of the, like several joke reasons for it. You know, we save on vowels. It's uh, <laughs> it's more hygienic because you know you can say it without opening your mouth so it doesn't spread germs. You know, there's all sorts of all oh. sorts of reasons. The the real reason is um, uh, mm -hmm is for performing. So what what you do in mm -hmm, like we're not a collaboration tool, we're not a communication tool. We're not trying to like replace any of those. Uh, we're a performance tool. Uh, mm -hmm is for when you want to perform. It's for when you say, hey, look at me, I'm doing a bit, like I'm performing. And our our observation is that all of us are performers. Uh, you know, sometimes we're performing for our employees or our kids or our boss or our investors or our audience, whatever. But everyone has got these like micro performances every day and performing on video uh, sucks, but it doesn't have to. It could be really great. So we just want, we want to like level up your performance. But what you do in whom you perform and the name is, um, you've already said it, like 
just before, it's, it's super easy to say mm-hmm, without thinking about it unintentionally. All of us say it all the time, but it's actually difficult to say it intentionally. Like when I, when I go to say it intentionally, even I have to pause for like a half a second because I have to like consider like which syllable am I going to inflect, right? And then I have to say it. And so it's almost like saying the name is a micro performance. You can't say it thoughtlessly. It's the only name I've ever seen. It's the only company or product that I've ever seen. That's a name that you can't just like say thoughtlessly. You can't say it on autopilot. You have to perform it. And I just think like the product is for performing and just thinking about the name is like a little micro performance to get you started. And I just think that's kind of beautiful. So that's the, that's the reason. Yeah. I love it. That's, now I just want to say, yeah. I want to inflect all of my, I want to be like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it makes like, sometimes, you know, I'm in a team meeting and we're like talking about like why something is late or something. And I have to be like kind of angry. So I have to think about like, okay, how do I say, mm-hmm, if I'm trying to like not be playful and I, I decided <laughs> like, I decided, okay, I'm going to say it like an angry samurai. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, it, it makes you think through all these things, which is like kind of cool. Like it's kind of cool to have that like performance in your head at all times. Yeah. I love the reasoning. I love the, I love the aspect of performance and the admission that that is what we are doing. I think that's, you know, certainly running a video company for 14 years. The the biggest thing we've seen in business actually is people being afraid to get on camera and afraid to perform and a fear of a fear of doing that and a fear that they will look bad, that their brand will be embarrassed, that they're going to do something stupid. When of course, walking around at any meeting, talking to anyone on the street, like, you know, we all know how to pull it together and say hello and smile and like, dude, just be ourselves. And it's, and it do- doesn't feel as much like a performance than when the camera is on, but it's the same thing. And so I, I do love it. And I think it's, it's, it's really exciting to see you guys working on it. It's exciting to put out the product. It's genuinely fun. I feel like Sylvie for a second there just was lost to uh, you and I just like <laughs> jumping around. But look, so, this, this podcast is called Talking Too Loud. And obviously when I get excited, I ever since I was a kid, I have talked too loud. That's what I do. I get fired up. Um, Phil, what has you talking too loud right now? What's got you going? I feel like you're not a person who talks very loudly. Oh, I try not to. I talk, I, <laughs> I talk, I talk a lot. Your voice has been so even. <laughs> yeah, so I, even killed. Yeah, I talk, I talk frequently, but try not to, try not to do it too voluminously. Uh, do you or, or do something please. else when you're like very excited about a project? I do. I mean, I, I, I'm so basically, look, I am super, super, super lucky and in life. And, um, and part of this was taking a lot of luck and then really working towards making, like keeping this true. But I decided a, a while ago that all I wanted out of life was to never work on anything that I was bored by. And, you know, that's like a big thing. It's a big ask. When I decided like, like, like decades ago that like, I'm just going to structure my life intentionally to never be bored, to never be doing something that I don't want to be doing. And I've been fortunate enough to be able to do that. So like, I literally, I don't have non-exciting things to work on because then I just don't do them, which is kind of, it's kind of crazy, right? Like it's kind of crazy that most people spend so much of their lives doing things that they don't want to be doing because they have to be doing. And that I'm like in this position where, again, through, you know, 90% luck and 10% hard work, I'm like, that doesn't happen to me. So I just tend to be excited about everything that I'm doing because otherwise I wouldn't be doing them. And I'm still at the stage of life where there's not that many unpleasant things. You know, I don't have health issues and that kind of stuff. Like that's all coming, right? So at some point it won't last. (laughs) 
But at least for now, if it's not interesting to me, I'm not working. I'm not going to spend time on it. And that's, that's kind of amazing. I haven't been bored in decades. I mean, that's a bold statement that you haven't been bored for 20 plus years. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't remember. I can't remember like the last, like it's, it's a weird feeling. I don't, yeah, I think it's true. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, Phil, look, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Love having you on here and talking so evenly with you. <laughs> <laughs> talking too uh, evenly. <laughs> talking too evenly. And um, we'll see you. We'll see you out there on uh, with the. Mm-hmm. 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 Thank you. Great to great to uh, great to meet you guys. That was interesting talking to Phil. I think it's not every day you talk to somebody who's made a product like, mm-hmm, which is super horizontal, right? It's designed to be used by anyone and anything. He's like talking about yeah. rappers using it, no NBD. And like, he's talking about other people using it, sports, sports stars. Schools. Um, it like schools, really ran the gamut. Yeah. yeah. And then same thing with Evernote, right? It's like, we got priests, we got sinners. We got all these different folks. <laughs> when <laughs> he like- started telling that story, I thought he was going to be like, the priest started tweeting and then a rabbi started tweeting and I was like, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I actually, here I comes loved, the joke. <laughs> here comes the joke, but I loved it. And we gave him a new idea for virtual confession. So you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. A new you're idea. Welcome. Just, just about eight years late, but right, right <laughs> on the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it was, do you think I was a bully during that conversation? No, because I, no, no. I noticed I noticed his his uh his cadence. I noticed his cadence of speaking, but I think that's okay. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's I mean, uh, you and I both tend to get pretty loud and that was when I was like, what gets you talking We're, too loud? And you're like, well, I know you don't really get talking too loud. I was like, I actually take pride in not getting to talking too loud. Yeah. I, I take pride in being even keeled. I'm like, oh, okay. He was super thoughtful <laughs> about what he said. Unlike us, we're just like we're we're barking, you know. And, and he slowed us down, which was nice. It was nice. Yes, yes. Yeah. You know, it's interesting also, I don't know how we got into that so quickly of the, the tip of the fuckberg whole thing. <laughs> and just like that, you know, when something's wrong, you, you're, you see that it's wrong. Like it must, it's actually pretty bad because like that there's something wrong and someone's, and they know it, they're probably hiding it, which is, you know, I'm not going to say it's always the case, but it's, it is true that uh, I, I had to learn that lesson over the years that if someone comes to me and they're like, hey, Chris, I think there's a, I think we have a, I think we have a decent sized problem here. I'll be like, hmm, if you're telling me it's a decent sized problem, is this actually a huge problem? You know, it's mm. like, it's like one of those things of, oh, if, if it's obvious now. And I'm yeah. probably the last to hear. It's probably pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a dumpster fire. That I mean, that it made me laugh, but it also um, it it's totally legit, right? Like it's when something is going just a little bit awry, and then you kind of take a step back. You're like, oh, geez you know what, it was going awry like way before I even started paying attention to the thing. Yeah. Well, before we go completely off the deep end here, I think we should stop recording. But I just want to say, got a lot of other great content coming from Wistia Studios. Check out Wistia.com for more shows that are coming soon. We have some new podcasts coming. We have some new podcast features at Wistia. Very exciting. And Mm -hmm. I can't wait for you to check those out. And of course... 
We really, really do want your feedback. It's so important to get your feedback. If you are listening to Talking Too Loud, please hit us up at ttlpod at wistia.com. We also would love ratings and reviews. It's incredibly helpful to get your feedback. We'd love your feedback. So give it to us wherever you live pod, wherever you listen to podcasts, wherever you live podcasts, where you live. I feel like that's what we do. We just, we live them. We just live wake them. Up, we breathe them. We breathe them. We wake up. Yes. We, you we, know, are, you, we are We podcast. are podcasts. We are podcasts. Okay. And on that note, and That's on that it, note. everyone. Get out of here. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Josh Solarski. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com.